0: Well, good morning. Uh, I'm glad that the cameras are on so that someone captured that Russ said I'm a great guy. Uh, Excellent. Someone had to at some point. It's great to be here. It's great to be able to talk to you uh, about the Bible. We're going through a series at the moment and that series is called Just Jesus. Um, And we've been looking at various topics over the last seven weeks. Things like uh, Jesus in the gospel or um, Jesus loving us all the way through to his death or uh, our identity in Christ and it's been focused entirely on Jesus which has been great. If you've joined us online or you've been here in person I hope you'll agree that it's been a wonderful series so far. It's been, it's been refreshing, it's been very Christ-centered and, and hopefully today will be the same again. We're in week eight and uh, today we're going to look at Jesus is supreme. What do you think of when you hear of the word supreme? It's, it's kind of a word that does not come across very positively at the moment. Uh, you may know of the supreme leader of Iran. The supreme leader of North Korea doesn't get a lot of good press these days. Uh, in 2020, the Russian parliament proposed changing the, the name of the, the president to the supreme leader. They have a tighter than necessary hold over the people who are under their authority. Or maybe the word supreme makes you think of supremacist. They're radical in their views. They are trying to dominate society. They're forcing their ideology on the people around them. All you've got to do is watch a Ross Kemp or a Louis Theroux documentary to understand what these kind of people are trying to do. I hope you can see that Jesus is the polar opposite of that kind of person. He's the polar opposite of today's supreme leader. And if you're a Christian here today, then you have a relationship with Jesus, who spoke the Beatitudes, On the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who are meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You see, Jesus is saying these things because he's supreme over all things. He's not... uh, He's not ruling through fear. But he's ruling through love. You see, the word supreme means the state of being superior to all others in authority, power, and status. And that's what Jesus is. He isn't domineering. He isn't power hungry. He's ruling from a position of love. So... Why is Jesus so supreme? Well, we're going to delve into the Bible because the Bible tells us why. We're going to read Colossians and chapter 1 and verses 15 to 20. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on Earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority. all things I've lost where I am all things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to call. I'll keep doing it. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. Whether things on earth or things in heaven. By making peace through his blood. Shed on the cross. Wow. What a passage I'm going to put it out there that I think that they are the, the most important six consecutive verses of Scripture in the entire Bible. It's so rich and it's so Jesus-centered. I don't think that there are six packaged together anywhere else in the Bible that will give us as much depth and as much insight into Jesus and Christianity as those six some context of this passage is that Paul is, um, is again in prison and he's been visited by uh, another friend of his, Epaphras. And Epaphras has been setting up a church uh, in a place called Colossae. And Paul's letter is to encourage those new Christians. They've been doing generally pretty well, but they're suffering from some slightly weak doctrine. Which has, been, which has come from some kind of cultural pressures. Where there's a new church in a new area, they're, kind of, they're still a bit bound by the cultural pressures. Christianity at this stage is new. We've got to remember that like, we're living in a world where Christianity has been around for thousands of years. But there are no older Christians. We look to kind of older and wiser Christians at times to, to kind of steady us and, and find out where we're rooted. But they didn't have them. And some were being persuaded that Jesus isn't quite enough. They're losing their way. They're, they're, just, they're losing their focus on Jesus' centrality. And at the end of uh, chapter 2 in Colossians, Paul goes on to explain what the Colossians are suffering with. They're suffering with worshipping angels or there's certain extra rituals that they're doing. They're just losing their way. It's almost like the message of Christianity for them is too good to be true. They needed that strength of a letter from the Apostle Paul just to, to, to give them a good grounding. And it's crammed with truth. If you read this passage again later on today, you'll just it will nourish your soul if you spend some time studying it. And today I want to look at two ways in which Jesus uh, is described by Paul. And the first is this, Jesus is supreme over creation. Verse 15 and verse 18 uh, uh, describe Jesus as the firstborn. And what I want to do before we delve in is to understand what uh, firstborn actually means. It won't have passed you by that we live in a modern Western culture. This letter was written to a first century Middle Eastern culture under a Roman Empire they're very different places to understand what firstborn means see in my mind firstborn means you're born first so i have two children uh, elsie is 11 she's the eldest and she is my firstborn anyone nodding <laughs> nope okay great it's fine <clears throat> my second child uh, called ruben he's 9 And I would say that he is the second born. So first born, second born, kind of logical, makes sense to me. But around the world there are different understandings. And so it's important that we understand actually what the intended recipients of this letter would have understood as the word first born. See the biblical understanding of it would be that it's not down to the order in which you're born. And this is an important text to grasp. So the Greek for this word firstborn is prototokos. It's pretty fun to say. I'll say it again. Prototokos. And it means uh, like kind of priority. You you possess the inheritance. You have the, the leadership and the authority. It's down to rank. And it's reasonably common that actually in a society where firstborn is about hierarchy and about rank that it wouldn't actually be the first child to be born that would be the firstborn. You see, in verse 15, Jesus has the highest rank. He is inherited and he has leadership over all creation. Jesus is Lord over the creation that we live in. And Jesus, as a member of the Trinity, is responsible for the creation of the world. John chapter one, verses one to three. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Look around. Everything that you see in this creation has ultimately been created through Christ. That phrase, without him, Nothing has been made that has been made. We can't take any credit for it. So, uh, June the 29th, 2007. Massive day. Apple released the first iPhone. It was absolutely revolutionary. Can you believe it? There were no keypads. Who remembers having to press 7 loads of times to get the letter S? And then if you pressed it too many times, you had to delete it or go back round. Steve Jobs changed the mobile phone industry. He had touchscreens. He had smartphones. It was an absolute game changer. We're so proud of the, of the technology, technological advances that we'd made. Do you think that there were cheers in heaven? Or do you think that they were kind of there going, what took them so long? <laughs> God knew about smartphones while Moses was chiseling the Ten Commandments, it's that kind, of, that kind of idea. How about the Great Wall of China? What, a, what an amazing engineering feat. Great Wall of China. Took 2,500 years to build. 13,000 miles long. One of the first facts I heard about the Great Wall of China was, you can see it from space. Jesus is looking down going, Yes, but you can't see it from most of space. You can only see it from the little bit of space, like 50 miles above the earth. You see, the universe is massive. Do you know how fast light travels? I'll give you a clue, really fast. (laughs) One light year is how fast light can travel in a year, obviously. Light travels at 186,000 miles per second. That means that it takes eight minutes to get from the sun to earth. That means that in one year, light travels six trillion miles. One year, one light year, six trillion miles. In the universe that Jesus created, it's currently estimated that the universe is 93 billion billion light years across. 93 billion light years, the length of time it takes for light to travel. Now, I may have lost you. That's absolutely fine. But I want you to understand this. The created universe is really big. It's really big. There are billions of stars and galaxies. It's beyond, beyond comprehension. We will never understand everything about it. And yet Jesus, the Jesus we heard about, is the firstborn over all creation. He has leadership over all creation. And when I hear about how big the the universe is, 93 billion, I can't even comprehend how long that might take for light to get from one side to the other. But you know what? It makes me feel so small. I'm just a little tiny speck in this enormous universe. And the most amazing fact, Jesus knows you by name. He knows every single one of us. He knows knows everything about us. In this whole universe of however big it is, Jesus knows who you are. 93 billion light years across and he longs for a relationship with you. Jesus is supreme over creation. My second point, Jesus is supreme over salvation. The first three verses of our passage talk about how Jesus is supreme over what's existing already. The second three are are telling us how he's supreme over everything to come. Something that we hopefully know as a church, but the Colossians wouldn't have known necessarily, is that Jesus is the head of the body which is the church. Because the church was new, it was in its infancy. It was just being established. And so maybe the Colossians needed to remember and be reminded that actually Jesus is the head of our church. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, uh, Ephesians 3, 10 to 11. His intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus is the head of our church. He's the leader. He's the provider and he's the protector. He protects us through pandemics and he protects us through hostilities. The church isn't a building, but it's the the body of the people who make up the building. And it came about because of the resurrection. You know, if Jesus didn't rise, then there wouldn't be any Christianity. There wouldn't be a church. But the problem we have is that people are sinful. In the world that God created, in the world that Jesus is first born over, the creature made in God's image is rebelling against him. All you've got to do is turn on the TV walk out of the door or look in the mirror and you'll see that humankind is rebelling against God Colossians 1:18 to 20 builds to the point where it reads Jesus made peace by blood by the blood of his cross and it enables you and I to be clothed in righteousness Christ doesn't see us, sorry, God doesn't see us when he looks at us with all of the filth and grime that our sin wraps us in. Because of what Jesus has done, it's only possible because Jesus came to earth. And do you know what? Jesus died because of his supremacy. Jesus didn't die because he lost his supremacy. I'll say it again. Jesus did not die because he lost his supremacy, because he stopped being supreme over everything. He died because of his supremacy. I'll give you an example. So uh, my son, Reuben, who's nine, um, he quite likes playing football in the garden, or he, he... Me and him quite enjoy playing tennis at the local tennis courts. And it's only natural that I'm in command. I'm bigger. I'm stronger. I'm currently better than him at those things. But remember that superior means the state, uh, uh, supreme means the state of being superior to all other things in authority, power, and status. You know, I I could dominate him. I could absolutely trounce him on the tennis court. (laughs) Yeah, now I'm thinking. But my son loves sport, and I love him. And so I don't hit all of my tennis shots with all of my might. I don't kick the ball as hard as I can. I don't then go, that'll teach him. That's your fault for being so weak. He's nine years old. You know, it's ridiculous. That, that, isn't, that isn't how it works. I willingly make less of myself for his benefit. And I'm able to do that. I have the authority and the power to do that. So we play a little match. And like we'll play a game and we'll play for some points. And for the greater good, I let him win some points. For the greater good, I let him win the game. Why? The outcome isn't because I've lost my supremacy. The outcome is that because my son won because of my supremacy. I've lowered myself to his level so that, so that he can feel like part of the crew. He's, he's in the game. It's the same with Jesus. We don't deserve anything. Jesus is supreme. He has all authority. We're sinners and there's nothing that we can do to reconcile to God. But it's because Jesus is supreme and he's made a choice that's for our benefit. You know, he decided to come to earth as a man. To take on human form and he chose to live in the world. He could have decided to do it any other way he could have wiped us out and started again. But because of his supremacy and because Jesus loves us, he decided to come to earth. He went to Calvary and he hung on a cross and died. And do you know, if the story ended there, it would be an empty, hollow story. But praise God that it doesn't. Praise God that Jesus rose again so that we can have eternal life. And that's the reconciliation between us and God. This is Jesus' supremacy in salvation, that he chose to do that for us so that we can be reconciled uh, with God. You see, I'm a sinner. I always will be a sinner. Every day I've sinned. Today I've sinned. The reconciliation between me and God hasn't taken place in my heart. The reconciliation with God took place on a hill thousands of miles from here. It's got nothing to do with me. You know, some, a commentator said the reconciliation between us and God has been done for us, not by us. If I was left to my devices, I am completely inadequate. But Jesus is completely sufficient. So we're going to go into communion now. And as Christians here today, we can come together and we can eat and drink communion together to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. We can ask for forgiveness and thank him for the grace that he has poured out onto us today. Communion is a meal for Christians, and we partake in it together. And if if you aren't a Christian here today, then perhaps it's an opportunity for you, while we're up and around grabbing our bread and wine, an opportunity for you to sit and reflect on the supremacy of Jesus and his authority over everything. But if you're a Christian, we're going to grab some bread and some non-alcoholic juice. And if you're online today, then now's a good time to go and grab that stuff too. There's going to be two tables at the front, just over to the side. There's two at the back as well. Gluten-free will be at the back. And if we can kind of go to the central aisles and come forward or backwards... And then go back up the side aisles and make your way back into your seats. That would be great. Nat is going to lead us in a song. And then at the end of that song, we're going to take the bread and the wine together as I read through the Bible. Let's, um, Let's do business with God. Let's thank him for what he's done for us on the cross. Matthew 26, verse 17 goes on to talk about the, the Last Supper, when Jesus met with his disciples for the last time. And he said this to them, while they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is, my, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, for the righteous, for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus has told us to do this. He's told us to break bread and drink wine or fruit juice. He told us to do that so that it's a symbol of remembering what He has done for us. We live in a world where symbols are all over the place and we're told to remember this and remember that. Well, this is Jesus. This is remembering what he's done for us. It's nothing to do with us. And for that, I am grateful. For that, I know that there's nothing I could ever have done that's enough. So let's eat the bread and drink the wine together. Oh, Father God, we thank you. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you that you willingly came to earth, not as a rescue mission. You came to earth because you are supreme and that you wanted to die on that cross so that we can be forgiven, so that we may have life eternal with you. Lord Jesus, Help us daily to remember this truth. Help us to remember that you are all-powerful, that you are, you are firstborn over creation. You are firstborn over salvation. Lord, we just, we're in awe of you. We thank you. Nothing we can ever do will thank you enough, but Lord, we thank you today. Amen. please take your seats. I'm just going to conclude so that we can go back into a time of worship. Our aim of this series, this Just Jesus series, has is to really help us all as a group to, to see, to admire, and to love Jesus more. To learn about him and make some changes as a result of that. So while we want to shine the light on Jesus today, primarily, we also have application for ourselves. Jesus is supreme over creation and he's supreme over salvation. And if you're not yet a Christian here today, Jesus Christ has given his life for you so that you can be welcomed into eternal life. It just needs you to take a step, to actually take a step, make a decision to trust in Jesus and you can do that today. We would love to chat with you. We would love to pray with you if that's something that you feel like today is that day, that you've, you've, maybe you've been here week after week and you're thinking, I need to do this. We would love to pray and chat with you today. During the worship, come and see us. Come down the front here. We'd love to pray for you. But if you are a Christian here today, then there are two questions that I wanna finish with. And the first is this. Are you struggling to accept all that Jesus has done and that he is enough? Maybe you're like the Colossians and you've slipped into a mindset that actually I've got to do more. I've got to add stuff to my Christianity because Jesus is never going to take me for who I am. You know, Jesus has offered us grace And that grace levels the playing field. There's no hierarchy in Christianity. Absolutely none. We're all the same. We're all sinners. None of us deserve what he did for us. But we're all offered it. Maybe you needed to be reminded of the sufficiency of Jesus today. And if that is you, then we'd love to pray with you as well. During the worship, come on down. There's loads of room here. We've got the biggest auditorium in goodness knows where, just let's make use of it. Come forward, you know, come and pray. If there's loads of people, great, it's a melee, just come and pray with us. The second question is this, what are you holding on to in life that you're doing in your own strength? Maybe you're keeping Jesus at arm's length because it's just, it's too risky to get him involved. Maybe there's a health situation or a work situation or you've got financial problems. You're just struggling and feeling hopeless about it. Maybe you're worried about kids or you're worried about your elderly parents or the events that are happening around the world. Maybe they're getting you down. You just can't see any light at the end of the tunnel. You know, Jesus doesn't want you to do it in your own strength. That's not what he's called us to do. I'd love it for Jesus to ease our burdens today. There are things in my life that even driving here this morning, I was thinking, I'm gonna have to face up to this today, aren't I? I can't stand here and talk about it and not do my own business with God. We've all driven here with stuff today. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to just meet with you in community here and just chat about it and, and, and pray. Pray for God's releasing Whatever is happening, whatever situation, you're not alone. Let's worship Jesus together now. And let's come and let's meet and let's pray and let's just deal deal with stuff.